Well, good morning. We are so grateful that you are with us this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be able to study together. We're thankful to Don for leading our singing. We're thankful to Carl for his thoughts and guiding us in the Lord's Supper. And we're thankful to all those who have had a part. I always love to hear Brother Joe Varner pray, and we appreciate so much those uh, who have led us already this morning. We're thankful that you're here. We look forward to a great day together, as has probably already been mentioned. Uh, we will have lunch here in just a few moments if you'd like to stay and be a part of that. And then we will have a 1.30 service this afternoon. We're going to look at the book of, book of the month. We've been covering the Old Testament, and we are almost through the Minor Prophets. We have uh, Zechariah to study this afternoon for a few moments together during our lesson. Uh, and then, as I've mentioned to you before, those, you, those of you who are usually with us in the afternoon, uh, we'll have the last book of the Old Testament, of course, and then we'll take a look at some of the intertestamental period for maybe a month or two before we move into the New Testament. Uh, but we'd love for you to be a part any and all of our services or things that we have going on. We're especially grateful to our members for being here today. It's great to see you and to our visitors as well. We're thankful that you have come our way. I don't usually or usually have a lot of announcements to add. Don't have as many this morning. We do need to add one birthday to our list. It's, it's Courtney Wilson's birthday today. She's celebrating a milestone uh, and we're thankful for her and her family and uh, we wanted to make mention of that. Uh, and so we look forward to a, a great day, and, and uh, we're thankful that you are here to be a part of it. You know, it's been almost 30 years. It's been almost 30 years, and some of you know, and some of you may have forgotten, that the Internet has been a part of our lives, our everyday life, if you will. It's really been a part of day in and day out. Some of you remember maybe having a home without a computer that was in it. Some of you may remember when you got that first family computer that sat there, it didn't do much and it didn't do it very fast, whatever it did do, but you got your first home computer. And it's amazing to me to consider how fast we went from having nothing to having something to then all of a sudden we get these things that we can carry around with us, right? And at first, they were just used to call people, right? I mean, all of a sudden, you had something in your pocket that you could use to carry around and call someone. We had a discussion in our family the other day about what did husbands used to do when they went to the store and the wife remembered that she needed something else, right? What did we do during that time when there were no cell phones? I believe my dear father-in-law had at least one story where he called the store and asked them to call my mother-in-law over the loudspeaker to come to the front to the phone so he could tell her or that she could tell him one more thing that she had forgotten. And now we can call somebody in a moment's notice. But not only that, how fast did we go from having something in our pocket that we could call someone on to being able to live our entire lives right through something this small, right? Not only call someone or stay in touch, but, but check out information to pay our bills, to order things. It's amazing to me to consider that idea. We are truly living in an online world. And it's kind of like that old illustration that preachers often use. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. I'm not saying it's all bad, and we're going to talk about it this morning, but there, it's for sure that we're not able to go back. Some of us lament sometimes and say, oh, I wish we could go back to the way things used to be. I'm here to tell you it's not going to happen. This is what we, the time that we're currently living in. But at the same time, as we think about our lives, God made us to be in-person people, right? To have relationships, to be in touch with people. And, and when we look through Scripture, we see that people were in-person people, and we still are today. We're thankful that you're here. 
But might it be that we are striving or should be striving to be in-person disciples, in-person followers of Jesus in an online world? And is there anything that we could think about that might help us this morning and as we go throughout our lives to think about this kind of thing? I know you're aware of some of this, but, but before we get into some of the heart of the lesson, I'd like for us just to have a few reminders about just how much we are in-person people trying to live in an online world. It was February 7th, just about two months ago, 2023, that LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the scoring record in all-time history of the National Basketball Association. If I remember correctly, I think it was his 38th 1,388 point that he scored in that basket right there. That's the shot as he took it. They stopped the game. Everyone came onto the court, family and friends, and, and they honored him for a few moments, and they went on with the game. But he broke the record, the all-time scoring record for the NBA. If you've not seen this picture before, and you're looking at it now, and maybe you can make it out from where you're sitting, there's something very interesting about this picture, though. Because as you look, there are a lot of people doing one thing, and there's one guy in the middle who is doing something different. You see, we know that we are in-person people, but we're living in an online world because it doesn't take long to notice that everyone in that, phone, in that picture is looking at what's happening through the lens of their phone. And I've been guilty of it before as well, but you can't even live in the moment because you want to capture it or you want to watch or you want to record it. And almost every single person in that picture is looking at their phone. You may recognize the man in the middle of the screen. He's a white man with white hair. He's the owner and founder of Nike, Phil Knight. He's sitting there because next to him are a couple of young black men who are LeBron James' sons, and they're all sitting together right there. And I don't know if it's Phil Knight's relationship with LeBron James or, or what it is. Maybe it's that we would call him old school. But he's sitting there taking it all in, and yet you look around him, and everyone is looking at this monumental moment through the lens of their phone. Maybe you've been to a concert recently, and again, I've been guilty of this as well. And there are even artists who are getting upset because as they scan the crowd, many, many people are not looking at the show. They're not watching simply for the sake of remembering or enjoying. They're trying to take it all in through their phone. It's not just those kinds of things, though. There are statistics that talk to us about our online world. Pew Research Center did a, a survey a, a while back, and they said that 60% of American adults say that they are more exhausted now than they have ever been in their life. I'm sure through their research that they went further and they broke it down by age and demographic and all these things, but 60% of American adults say that they are more exhausted now than they have ever been. And most of us can say, I feel that, or I have certainly felt that. They went on to say that 58% of American adults say that they are more distracted now than they have ever been. I won't ask for the show of hands, mainly because I'd probably have to raise mine too. But are we not more distracted now, and admittedly more distracted now than we've ever been? And a lot of times it's because it's that little thing that we carry around in our pocket or hold in our hand. 
As we think about it, though, and I was, as I was considering this, and I did want to make mention before I got started that I want to give thanks to one of my good friends from, from Freed Hardeman, Joey Sparks. He preaches for the Parish Church of Christ in Jasper, Alabama. But Joey had done this lesson recently, or some of it, and I had heard it and started watching it, and I told him I loved a lot of what he used, and I wanted to be sure and share it with you all as well, and it really encouraged me, so I want to give thanks to him. But as I was listening to what he was saying and some of the things that he was mentioning, Is it not true that we have throughout the course of our country and our lives found ways to help people with addiction? Right? Hannah and I have talked again even recently about how we remember in the mid to early 90s being at school and the D.A.R.E. program really you know, taking root and being something that we talked about in school. Keeping people and kids off of drugs. I think about people who have been through the AA program and the 12-step program and these things. We will do all kinds of things to help people with their addictions and their struggles that they face. And yet we know, and the research is there, and I don't have time to go through all of it this morning, but it is absolutely true that we have an addiction problem that goes beyond drugs and alcohol in our country And we have an addiction problem that affects every single person almost, myself included. And I'm not here to promote everything that's on Netflix, and I I don't even know if The Social Dilemma is still on there or not. But there was a, a documentary at least a year or two ago that was on Netflix that talked about big tech and social media and how exactly they strive to get us to stay addicted being in person people living in an online world. Why is it that we do care about drugs and alcohol, and we should? I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't, but yet sometimes we don't help ourselves and others that we care so much about with these other addictions that we face. Here's the truth of the matter, is that we are shepherded by something, right? As I look around this audience, I see our shepherds here of the Saudi Church of Christ. We appreciate Joe and our our other men who pray for our shepherds, our elders. They are to be watching for our souls. And the truth is, we are shepherded by something. Here's the other truth. We oftentimes lambast and point out to our kids that they are shepherded by TikTok and Instagram and and social media and all these things. We point the finger at them and we talk about how awful they may be sometimes and how awful they may act in reaction to the way that they are shepherded by these apps and these things. But the truth of the matter is, is we are all shepherded by something. And when we think about what we consume, it could be the news. It could be anything that we are taking in that is shepherding us instead of just what it is that we are, how we are to be shepherded by God and His Word and by our own elders. We are shepherded by something And we are often sometimes blind to what it really is that is shepherding us. And I hope that through this lesson this morning that we are encouraged to think about this, to think critically about it, to step on our own toes. I'm not here to say that you all are the worst people in the world at any and all of this because I myself struggle with these these things. We are shepherded by something. What is it that we are shepherded by? When you think about in-person disciples living in the online world, There was a Canadian philosopher by the name of Marshall McLuhan who I think wrote several books and lots of different papers and things. But he he said something that said, the medium is the message. I think he wrote several books that went along these lines and, and that phrase got twisted and turned into various things. But the medium is the message. You see, it's the idea that the medium influences us as much as the message that sometimes the channel that we use to consume these things impacts us as much as the content. 
This is one of his most famous theories. And in other words, it's not so much about the the media or the important thing about media is not the message that they carry, but the way the medium itself affects our human consciousness. Here's the thing. That affects us today, but that was said all the way back in 1964 is when that statement was made by Marshall McLuhan. In fact, some might say that maybe it was made in regards to the 1960 presidential election. Some of you may recall what took place there and how television and the televised debates affected people. The medium is the message. McLuhan said that the medium is like a chiropractor. It's massaging and changing and shifting and adjusting. And that is what the medium can do when it hooks us. Think about how we consume Scripture. Think about how Scripture has always been consumed. Is it not true that for a long time it was simply orally? That parents and grandparents would gather around their family and their children and their grandchildren and they would orally tell them the Scripture. And then it shifted to Hebrew and Aramaic and handwritten on scrolls. And of course, along comes Gutenberg. And we can reproduce in mass. And now here it is. We have it in our hands. And now even here today, we talk about people worshiping online. The medium is the message. What I'd like for us to do this morning is to consider at this point in our lesson a, a self-assessment, if you will. J.Y. Kim is a man who has written a couple of books. The one on the screen is Analog Church. He also has written one more recently called Analog Christian. He's done a lot of study into these things, and and I would encourage you to, to read some of his material, listen to him on podcasts or things, because he makes a lot of great points about how we are affected and how the church and Christians are affected by technology and these things. He came up, I think, in one of his books and mentioned that there are three promises that technology promises us, but they really also give us unintended consequences. Three promises and their unintended consequences. The first one that's promised by the internet and technology is speed and efficiency. Is that not true? How fast our family can be leaving the ball field together and driving through town and we can have pizza ordered and pull right into the restaurant and pick it up before we even get there or have it almost waiting at our house by the time that we get home. We can do anything as quickly as ever. To pay the bills, to pay our bills, doesn't require writing checks and going into town and and going through and visiting these tellers. I can pay almost everything that I need to pay within probably 10 minutes online. The internet promises speed and efficiency, but the unintended consequence is impatience. Is it not? Impatience. The question that maybe we need to ask is, a good question to ask is, am I more patient and understanding because of my online habits? I don't know if it was Midge and and Lisa or someone that we were talking recently after morning services like we're going to do here in just a few moments, and I wanted to share something with them or show them a picture or look something up real quickly, and I pulled my phone out of my pocket, and it starts going slow, right? And I can't get it to open up, and I can't get it to search as fast as I want it. And I made the statement to them. I said, how impatient have I grown? Because at the tips of my fingers, I can have all that I want in just a matter of seconds, and any time that it doesn't work in seconds, I get really, really upset, right? If it takes a minute, it's like, why is this operating so slow? 
You see, it promises speed and efficiency, but really it bears within us impatience. Am I more patient because of my online habits? Number two, we are promised choice and options. We're promised choice and options. We can have anything, anything that we want. We can order almost any kind of food. We can purchase any kind of gift. We have so many choices and so many options. But you know the unintended consequence of that, of course, is shallowness. Shallowness. We then no longer go for what is best. We no longer go for what we should get, but we go for what is easiest or the most shallow. In fact, there is a sad cycle, if you will, of therapeutic culture on on social media. There, There are easy means and easy articles that make you feel better for the moment, but it doesn't actually do anything. Right? Just a simple scroll through Facebook, we'll see things that go, oh, that's a great statement. That makes me feel better and makes me want to work harder, but I don't actually have to do anything. And I was listening to Mr. Kim on a podcast yesterday talk about how Jesus' message and the message of God is we need to be people who do things. Blessed are those who do my Father's will. That's what we need to be, but instead we just scroll through social media and we have this shallowness where people say things and give us little statements. The question that maybe we need to ask is, am I more committed to long-term processes and deep studies and experiences because of my online habits? Or does it simply make me more shallow? The third thing that he mentions as far as promises of the internet, is individualism, right? Customization, that you can have your own Facebook page, you can have your own Instagram account, and you can make it all about you, and you can like things and share things that you like. You know, I I like golf, and I like sports, and things like that, and if you go and you notice my social media account, that will be the things that I notice and I follow, or, or those kinds of things. So it's customized exactly to who I am. I can show you the best of me, exactly how I want you to see me. But, of course, we know that the unintended consequence is really isolation. We think that we are connected more and more, but in truth, we are fueling that feeling with individualism, which feeds isolation. We become more isolated. The question that we need to ask is maybe, do I have closer and deeper relationships with others because of my online habits? We visited Free Hardeman University this past couple of days. We were there over the first part of the weekend. And I don't know how many people I saw that I I looked at and I realized, oh, we were friends or we are friends because I see a picture of them and their family once every other week on Facebook, right? So I consider us still friends. I hadn't talked to them probably almost 20 years since we left Free Hardeman, but they're my friend. But is that truly a deeper and connected relationship? I may have more friends. I may know more information about them. But do I actually have a closer and deeper relationship? Is it better to read about those things online or to spend time with people in person? Or let me ask you to think about this. Think about it this way. Does any of this sound familiar? Self-centric despair, comparison, contempt, impatience, hostility, forgetfulness, outrage, and reckless indulgence. Does any of that sound like the online culture in which we inhabit. 
So many of us spend so much of our time in an online world. Does any of that sound like the online world that we live in? I think think it does. I think if you spend any time on social media or watching the news, that's what they're telling you. Oh, Twitter is full of outrage and Twitter is Facebook is full of arguing all those things. And, and it's true. Hostility, outrage, contempt, all those things are there. But let me ask you, does any of this sound familiar? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control sound familiar. We remind our kids about it and we sing about Galatians chapter five, where you hear about the fruit of the spirit. Now, let me ask you. Do any of those things match up? Do we spend our time in love or do we spend our time in self-centric despair? Do we spend our time having joy or are we robbed of our joy by the comparison that we often feel when we're online and looking at others' others' pictures and their things on Facebook? Are we a part of kindness and goodness or do we simply have hostility as a part of our lives because of where we spend all of our time? Do we have self-control? Do we learn to turn it off or put it down? Or do we participate in what we might call reckless indulgence? Always being a part, always feeding the habit. What should we be after? The left-hand column or the right-hand column? You see, what is true is that, I think Kim mentions in his book, one issue is that we already, what is already possible and active within us is magnified online. You know, the people that we are sometimes within ourselves is magnified when we start posting about things. I might have an interaction with you here in just a few moments, and you might be pleasant and kind, but I may only see you for about 30 seconds, right, or less. Say hi and bye, and we move on. If I see your social media posts, your online profile, is it that you are always arguing with people? Because maybe that's really who you are and it's magnified by being able to sit behind a keyboard or sit behind a phone and simply just keep posting about things without actually having to see people in person. If you have your Bible, let me ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen, but it may be a little small and hard to read. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Paul would write to the young man Timothy here and say, But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having their appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, some of you turned to your Bible and started looking down. Some of you were looking at the screen. But, but in the middle of reading, we highlighted some words in, in red. Some things that may sound familiar, again, as we think about the world we live in and we think about Scripture. Some of these things that are mentioned in these verses are found within the medium itself. But all of this, all that's found in these verses are found in the online content. Unappeasable? You ever know anybody that's never satisfied? What about without self-control? By the way, I don't know one tech company, and you can watch The Social Dilemma or read all the statistics and studies that are out there, but I don't know one app or online company that wants you to open up their app and look at one thing and then put it down, right? 
What is their goal? Their goal is to get you to spend as much time as you can. They want you to be without self-control. They want you to stay. What about lovers of pleasure? You ever watched or read those studies about that dopamine hit, that chemical hit that you get in the brain? I get more enjoyment out of that than I enjoy anything else. And what about appearance? We've already mentioned it, having the appearance of godliness. We can appear how we want to. And what does Paul say? That with all of these things comes difficulty. When we have all of these things present, difficulty is what happens. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not suggesting that Paul is talking about online culture, of course, back in the first century. But I am suggesting that maybe what was true then is true now. And whether there was no internet or there are phones in everybody's pocket, it is true that where these things are, difficulty is what happens. So what do we do? If you opened up your Bible, you may have noticed that I didn't put the end of verse number 5. Because Paul concludes that section by saying, avoid such people. Question, how do you avoid yourself, right? When you're the one in the middle of all this, how do you avoid yourself? These are the people that we are to avoid. Avoid such places. And online is a place. By the way, can I suggest to you that I think a Christian can go to Las Vegas physically and not sin? Some of you may have visited there before. Las Vegas itself, if you step foot inside the city limits, is not wrong. A person can visit there and not sin, but what do they need to do? Well, they need to be prepared. They need to be watching out. They need to be on guard for the things that are around them. How prepared are we to go into the online world? How on guard are we? You can go into the online world and not sin. But Paul says where all of these things are, we need to avoid such things. If we're going to live in the online world, we need to be prepared to avoid the danger and the bad influence. If you have your Bibles, let me ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 26. And let's notice one other passage here together. Proverbs chapter 26. First of all, verse number 12. By the way, you should read the whole thing. Maybe that's your homework assignment for this morning. The whole chapter is great, and, and it really helps us think about some of these things. But let's look at a few verses in particular. Verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Does this sound like an online world? The attitude sometimes is that I can control it. It doesn't control me. I control me online world has nothing to do with me but what about when we are wise in our own eyes when we're saying those kinds of things and we feel wise there is more hope for a fool than for that man what about verse number 13 maybe this is the theme verse for all of social media the sluggard says there is a lion in the road there is a lion in the streets kind of goes back to that old saying right that we sometimes use if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one around to hear it does it make a sound looking at this verse maybe the 21st century version is if something is told online and it doesn't create an outrage did it really happen or was it really ever even posted because everything has got to draw some kind of ire people are running around yelling all kinds of things that sometimes aren't even true if it doesn't if it isn't told online if it doesn't create outrage did it really happen Verse 17, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. How often are people just going online for a fight? 
And sometimes a fight that doesn't even usually involve us, right? But we're ready to jump into the middle of it. Let me give my two cents. Let me tell everyone what I think about something. It is true that evangelism can be started and maybe even done to an extent online. It is true that discussions can be had and maybe even be successful sometimes online. But how many times are people simply shouting at each other, meddling in a quarrel? And verses 18 and 19, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrow, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. The headline on social media can be as wrong as it needs to be just to get enough eyeballs looking at it, right? Just to get attention. The medium has shaped us into thinking that immediacy and being first are values that are more important than truth and depth. And let me say that one more time. The medium, not always the message. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm just talking about the medium. The medium has shaped us into thinking that being immediate and being first are values that are more important than truth and depth. How often do we see that borne out in our online world? I want to leave you with a few action steps this morning. What are some action steps then that we can take? As I look around this room, I see some of you who say, well, I don't even know what social media is, right? Or I don't even know what an app is. I don't have a smartphone. That's fine. But you are certainly affected by it. Some of you are like me. We spend a lot, a lot of time in our devices, looking at our screens. And I know the good that can be done. I know the enjoyment that can be had from photographing things and being able to go back and enjoy those. But can I caution you this morning that very often we get caught up in this online world and we forget about being in-person disciples. Some action steps. Number one, assess your heart by possibly even cutting out social media for an intentional amount of time. You know, we don't like fasting always, right? We don't talk about fasting as much in our world today. But what was the point of fasting? Was it just to starve yourself? Was it just to lose weight? Or was it to make a point that for an intentional amount of time, you might give up something in order to be a little more focused on something else? And as the Bible talks about fasting, focusing on God. Maybe, just maybe, we need to assess Do a real hard self-assessment and ask how we're living in an online world. And maybe respond by cutting out some of the things that we do. You know, one of the things that I enjoy is reading. And it's so easy to go on my phone and, and download an app and be able to check books out even of the library online. And I don't think that's wrong. I enjoy doing that. It's fast. It's easy. All those things that we look at. But I also love just getting a book sometimes. Right, and just reading a, a hardbound, pa- uh, hardbound paper book. And when we think about, maybe sometimes we need to cut out some of the things that may not be wrong or bad, but simply require us to simply be attached to a screen for a little while longer. Even things a little more than social media at times. Maybe use your phone settings to limit the duration and the time of day. There are apps. I know there's one called Freedom. Uh, Apple came out just a few years ago with that thing where it will tell you at the end of the week or the end of the month how much time you've spent. We have Android phones in our family, but, but I've opened it up before and gone to that section, the tool section in my settings, and it will tell you even how many times I've opened my phone, right? Clicked and used it and oh, just opened it. Didn't know how much time I spent on Facebook or on some other site, just simply unlocked it to do something. 
pretty amazing sometimes. And maybe we can limit ourselves by having it shut off at a certain time or limiting how much time we spend on all of these things. Maybe we need to learn to have respectful conversations about potentially upsetting or emotional issues in person and not online. I've told you before that that I tend to be non-confrontational. That's not all good, it's not all bad, but one thing that is true is it's made it very easy for me to decide that I just will pick up my phone and send someone an email or a text message rather than go, go to them in person to have that conversation. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it causes more trouble. Maybe I need to be one who decides and determines that I'm going to have respectful conversations about politics, about doctrine, about disagreements in person rather than online. And maybe we should intentionally choose to level up in our, in our communication. I think that should have said direct, excuse me, direct communication. If you're going to send a text message, level up maybe and make a phone call. If you're going to make a phone call to someone, level up and make a visit. Do something more than simply falling back to the online world and what might be considered the easiest thing. Level up in our direct communication. There's no doubt that we live in an online world. And here's the thing, we can't change it. We can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I, once again, it's not all bad. There are a lot of good things that be, can be accomplished in the online world. But may we strive to be in-person disciples for Jesus, to make a relationship. Can you study the Bible with someone online? Sure. You, you can kind of exchange messages. But how much would it mean to sit across the table from them, to open your house and to have a meal and say, come sit down with me and let's study the Bible together in person? May we strive to take all these things, and by the way, you know, but that was only the tip of the iceberg in regards to the studies and the statistics that talk about how much we are affected by our online world. And may we strive to enjoy the positive things there, but also be in-person people, and not just at worship, but all throughout our lives, assembling together not just on the first day of the week, but any time we have an opportunity to make those relationships and to make them stronger and deeper. As we're assembled here this morning, it may be that you are not a part of the church, that you've never been gospel obedient, obeyed God's simple plan of salvation. You don't understand the depths and the love that come with a relationship not only with God the Father and Jesus the Son, but with His people. We'll be singing a song in just a moment to encourage you that through its words, you would be encouraged to obey the gospel plan of salvation, to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that the blood of Christ can take away your sins and you can be added to the church by the Lord. We are thankful for that opportunity that God made a way, that he sent his only begotten son, that we can believe in him, we can repent of our sins, confess his name and be baptized so that we can be a part of the body. Maybe you're here and you've done that in times past, but you've struggled to remain faithful. You've wandered away. You've allowed sin to enter your life. One of our elders will be here in just a moment at the front to receive you, that we could pray with you and for you, that we could help you. It may be something that's difficult and uncomfortable, but what better place to make that known than in person with your brothers and sisters in Christ? We want to encourage you. We want to help you. 
Maybe it's something else in your life that you're struggling with. We would love to pray with you and for you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.